On September 6, 2018, there's a man named Botham Jean. He was sitting in his apartment, minding his own business, eating a few snacks and watching TV. When a woman barged into his apartment, looked at him and shot him down. And he died on his own apartment floor. What had happened was the woman, Amber Geiger, thought that she had entered her own apartment, but really she was on the wrong floor. She had entered into the wrong apartment and Amber Geiger, a white off-duty police officer, shot down an African-American man in his own apartment. And she said, oh, I'm so confused. I was da, 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 da. But later it was moved on to say, well, we actually need to charge her. She just barged into someone's apartment and killed somebody, which is a terrible thing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being Botham Jean, just minding your own business and then you get shot without any explanation? Can you imagine being this guy's family? Can you imagine like what it's like to hear that your brother, good guy, just gets like shot down in his own place. And then later to hear like the media and parts of certain parts of the, uh, the authorities try to put dirt on your brother to make it seem like they wanted to save one of their own from a sentence or charge. Well, that didn't happen in this particular case. Amber Geiger was charged and eventually she was as, uh, as of this month, she was convicted of murder. And she was sentenced on October 1st to 10 years in prison. Now, this is a terrible thing. How would you feel if you lost someone you love in a terrible accidental shooting? What would you do? What would you think? What would you say to that person? Well, at the sentencing, Botham Jean's brother, Brant Jean, he was allowed to take the stand. And he was allowed to say a few words. And actually, I brought that clip with us today for us today. So why don't we turn our attention to screen? And this is what Brant Jean said. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you.
I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Now, the complexities around this story are fascinating. Uh, on the one hand, uh, some celebrated and praised the jury for coming back with the harshest sentence that they possibly could for Amber. Others felt that Amber Geiger was let off with leniency. Uh, social media erupted, and I don't know if you have such things in your life like social media, but maybe you saw this. Some hailed Brant Jean as exemplifying true forgiveness when faced in the most difficult set of circumstances. Some held a more neutral view. They, uh, they said that while forgiveness was something important, it does not excuse the broken system of racism and injustice and bias in a situation that was completely wrong and false. So the question is this, what is forgiveness? Is it necessary? Is this something that we actually need in our life? Did Brant Jean have a proper view of forgiveness? Did he understand what forgiveness was? Did the people surrounding that had a lot of opinions about Brant Jean's decision to say what he said, did they understand forgiveness? Do we as a community understand forgiveness? Now, the problem with forgiveness is this, is that many people love forgiveness in the abstract. We love the idea of forgiving one another. And of course, we don't think that grudges are healthy. And we've all seen at least some clip of Dr. Phil where he said, you know, we need to let go of our past, of our pains and our wounds, and we need to forgive people and all that. Forgiveness in the abstract is awesome. The problem arises when we actually have to forgive someone in our real life. When we have to forgive an ex-spouse when we have to forgive an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend, when we have to forgive a sibling or we have to forgive a particular person for a particular sin that has been committed against us, then, my friends, it's not so easy to forgive, is it? Or we even say this, well, you know, if the thing that, had have done, the thing that was done had happened to me, well, I could forgive. That would be easy. But this didn't happen to me. This happened to my daughter. This happened to my son. This happened to somebody that I love. It happened to my spouse. And what they did to my little girl was so awful and so atrocious. It eats me up inside. That's completely unforgivable. Today, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is essential for your relationship goals. Forgiveness is something that is often misunderstood, but I believe that Jesus paints a very clear picture of what we can do to forgive others and live and embrace the free life that he offers us. And at the end of the talk, I'm just warning you now, that at the end of the talk, if there is somebody in your life that requires forgiveness, 
I'm going to invite you to come forward and we're going to have people pray for you about that particular, just fair warning. So uh, I'm planting the seed in your head of like the seed of unforgiveness that you might have that is coming. But before we do that, um, let's going to Let's pray together. Um, I've called today's talk, um, how to forgive. Um, uh, so let's, let's invite God's presence. God, um, it seems silly to invite your presence because we know you're everywhere. And it seems silly because we already know, we already feel that you're doing something, God. And I ask that you would help me speak as I should. God, I ask that you would start to talk to us uh, in our minds and in our hearts about uh, the places where we need to release the pain and the hurt to you. God, we know that you want more for us. And God, we know that you have freedom planned for us. God, and so I ask that you would cause people to align with you and understand how they can forgive today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're going to follow along, if you brought one of those books that's sorted that we call a Bible, you can turn uh, to Matthew 18, or you can follow along on the screen, or you could follow along on your Bible app. We're going to read in Matthew 18. Uh, this is the first of the four Gospels. This is where Jesus talks about forgiveness. And this is Jesus... And he tells a story that's called a parable about forgiveness. And this is what we read in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. I'm going to read it. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other translations, it is 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell at, to his feet and, be, and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. So today, I'm going to be talking about the five M's of forgiveness. And if you have a little handout, if you received it on the way and you can follow along and fill them in, that's the five M's of forgiveness. M as in Meekins, the five M's, uh, the measure of forgiveness, the meaning of forgiveness, the myths of forgiveness, the method of forgiveness, and the motive of forgiveness. And the first one, let's take a look at the first one, the measure of forgiveness. 
I want to read to you again, uh, starting in verse 21. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And again, I said in many translations, this is 70 times seven. So what is actually going on here? Peter comes in and he starts thinking that he's pretty generous. Uh, Hey, JC. Hey, Zeus. How about... I forgive people up to seven times. What do you think about that? That's pretty cool, right? And Jesus goes, no, you're way out of the league here. How about 70 times seven? So what's actually happening here? What's actually going on? What's Jesus actually trying to say? Well, it's this. Jesus is saying that counting up the number of times that you forgive really isn't forgiveness at all. Counting up the number of times you forgive is just waiting until you can take revenge. The problem with this is that way too many people read this and they go 70 times seven. Well, does that mean I just need to allow myself to be beat up? Do I just need to turn into a punching bag for people to continue to offend me over and over and over again? Like I just need to take it like some weak human being. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. And what we will read is that Jesus will say that we can limit a person's behavior in our life, but we can't limit forgiveness. That we can set up people, we can set up boundaries around people. Mom, if you're going to talk to me that way on the phone, I'm going to put a boundary around you. I'm not going to take your calls. That's just not how this relationship is going to go, mom. But Jesus is saying that you don't need to keep on being abused by the same person over and over again, but you cannot not forgive. We may limit a person's behavior, but we can't limit forgiveness. 70 times 7. Forgiveness is boundless. Forgiveness is intimate. Or in, not, uh, not intimate. Uh, forgiveness is infinite. It's infinite. It goes on forever. And here's another point. Sometimes forgiveness requires that we forgive one huge thing. You know, there's something that was done to you and it was wrong and you have to work really hard and you have to forgive that person for that one big thing. Other times, the thing that was committed against you, the sin that was committed against you, the wrongdoing that was committed against you was so wrong, so atrocious. What you find is that you have to forgive in increments over a long period of time. C.S. Lewis uh, is one of my favorite Christian authors. Uh, He says this, he says, to forgive for the moment is not that difficult, but to go on forgiving, to forgive the same offense again and again, every time it reemerges in your memory, there is the real tussle. Because sometimes 70 times seven isn't just forgiving the same person for doing the same thing. And sometimes 70 times seven isn't forgiving 490 separate events, sometimes 70 times seven goes deep. It goes to, hey, this thing happened, and as it reemerges in your memory, as you peel back the layers on the onion, you find that there's still unforgiveness in your heart around a particularly difficult situation, and you peel it back over and over again until forgiveness is complete. The measure of forgiveness is infinite. The measure of forgiveness has no end. It is for everyone to forgive always. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to invite that same person back into our life, but I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. So let's hold off. So that is the measure of forgiveness. So as we look at these verses, what else do we see? 
Well, we see the meaning of forgiveness. The second one is the meaning of forgiveness. What is the meaning? What does it mean to forgive? Well, when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testaments found in the Bible, we see a pretty clear definition emerge that was written in the Greek and the Hebrew. And the word forgive uh, generally means to release or to let go or to set free. Forgiveness in the Bible also means to cancel a debt. You owe me and I'm going to not hold it over your head anymore. I'm going to not make you pay back every last cent. To forgive in the Bible means that you have an IOU that somebody owes you and you tear it up. You tear up the IOU. You cancel the debt. You forgive the account. You erase the account. You know, Christians for the last 2,000 years have found the ultimate meaning of forgiveness in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And today, those who want to be forgiven come to the cross of Jesus where Jesus was crucified. And when you ask God to forgive you by the virtue of Jesus' death on the cross, what you're doing is you're taking your sins and you're putting those sins and you're giving those sins to Jesus. And what Christians believe is that Jesus supernaturally and spiritually takes your sins and he carries them away. He takes your IOU and he tears it up. You know you're not that good and he knows that you're not that good. And he goes, it's all torn up. All is forgiven. You are released to do good in the world. You are set free to do good in the world. So that's the second M, the measure of forgiveness and the meaning of forgiveness. Now I want to turn our attention to the myth of forgiveness. The myths. There's actually lots of myths. I'm only going to be able to talk about two of them today, but there's lots of myths around forgiveness. Um... Now, there are certain authority figures, uh, both inside the Christian world and outside the Christian world, that would say to really fully forgive another person. It's your Christian duty to forgive them, and it's your Christian duty to go back to that person and live in a certain kind of tight relationship with that person. And what is the result of that on a number of occasions with a number of different kinds of people? The abused person goes back to the abuser and what happens? They get abused again because there's something wrong with that model. Now, there's some myths surrounding forgiveness and I'm going to share a few with you. Now, one of the myths surrounding forgiveness is that if you forgive, you have to sign up to be a punching bag for another person. Do you know what a punching bag is? It's something found in boxing. And you just take the hits over and over again, over again. So it's boom. You have to be a sucker for every family member that's looking for a cash handout. Boom. You have to rehire the person that stole money from the company. Boom. You need to go back to the way things were before you were offended by that person. And what we learn from Jesus is that forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is infinite. But what forgiveness doesn't mean is that there are consequences for the sin that was committed against you. And there, aren't, there are always consequences for sins that are committed. And a lot of people don't want to forgive because if they think if they forgive, it means there won't be consequences for the thing that was done to them. And throughout the Bible, we learn that this just isn't true, that this is a real myth. There are consequences to our sin. 
What we learn is that Jesus always asks us to forgive, but it does not mean there aren't consequences. Sometimes that consequence is an STD. Sometimes that consequence is an unwanted pregnancy. Sometimes it's the loss of a job or a lack of trust or diminished trust between spouses. Sometimes you lose your license. Sometimes you have to attend anger management. Sometimes you have to do community service to pay your debt back to society. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that there aren't any consequences for our sin. And it certainly doesn't mean that you are a punching bag as an ongoing victim in a situation. Another myth, another myth is forgiveness doesn't mean that we reconcile to the offender. We don't always have to reconcile and be completely back to normal with someone that has offended us. Now, let's just come up with a fake case study. If you're a social worker, bear with me. And if you're not a social worker, be a fake social worker with me. Let's just say for discussion's sake, there's a young woman that was raised by a single mother. The dad abandoned their family at a young age. The mother struggled with, abu- uh, with both abuse and drugs and alcohol. Uh, there was addiction in that family. Shortly after the father left, there was a series, a string of boyfriends who came in and out of, their, of her life. Some were abusive, some were okay. Eventually, the mother married one of the boyfriends, and that boyfriend became this woman's stepdad, and that stepdad became abusive to her both physically and sexually. Okay, let's just assume all that happened. And let's just say that that persisted over a long period of time. Now, let's also imagine that this woman grows up and she comes to faith in Christ. Somehow, Jesus meets her and her life begins to transform. Uh, she hears about what forgiveness means and she needs, she learns that forgiveness is infinite and she learns that she needs to forgive everybody in her life. So the real question is for someone like this, who might come into a room and sit here and hear these kinds of things, what do you do about that? How do you actually forgive all these people and all these different hurts? How do you forgive a mom that did things against you? How do you forgive a stepdad that committed these atrocities against you? What do you do about all these people that were complicit with the situation that formed you into the way you are now? And it's not fair. It was wrong. It was wrong. And what do you do if you want to create some sort of forgiveness with the person, but they don't admit that they did anything wrong? What if they never say they're sorry? Or like, what if they defend themselves of any wrongdoing? They're always turning the table saying, this is your fault. Or what if they don't want to have anything to do with us? Or maybe what if in the process, this person dies and you cannot reconcile with this person because they're, they're dead. Well, what do you do about this? Well, there's an author by the name of Lewis Smedes. This is what he writes. I want to read this quote to you. This is very interesting. Um, he read like this. It goes like this. Forgiving happens inside the person who does it. Forgiving happens inside our minds and our hearts. When we forgive, we rediscover the trail. No, excuse me. When we forgive, we rediscover the the frail, failed, bruised humanity of the person we forgive. And we give up our fantasy of revenge. We treat the bounder as a fellow human being and wish him well. All this can happen without giving the matter of restoring the relationship more than a second thought. Though we welcome the person who hurt us back inside the orbit of people we try to care about, we do not necessarily welcome him back into our special circle of friends and family. We can weep 
at her funeral and feel a genuine sadness at her leaving, we can even be happy about the prospect of meeting her in heaven. Reunion is about something else. So I want to focus for just a second on this idea of reunion. Reunion, a totally restored relationship or what the Bible calls reconciliation. This requires that the other person acknowledge that the wrongdoing had happened and they choose to repent. You see, there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a huge difference. So big. So that I want to follow up in Smeeds. I have another quote from Smeeds. I wanted to put it on the screen here. There is a big difference. And here's the difference. And here's what he says. Difference between reunion and forgiveness. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two to be reunited. Forgiving happens inside the wounded person. Reunion happens in a relationship between people. And we can forgive a person who never says he is sorry. We cannot be truly reunited unless he is honestly sorry. We can forgive even if we do not trust the person who wronged us once uh, not to wrong us again. Reunion can happen only if we can trust the person who wronged us not to wrong us again. Forgiving has no strings attached. Reunion has several strings attached. Friends, you need to forgive the people in your life, but you do not necessarily need to be in relationship with some of them. And I want to speak to some of you. Some of the things that you have been have done have been happened to you, have been committed against you are horrible. And we don't want to take that away. And my prayer would be is that you would be able to release those things to God and forgive them. And then think about if there is a possibility to be reunited or reconciled with this person. But don't delay forgiveness based on a myth. And that myth being you have to be reunited. You don't necessarily have to be reunited with the other person. So that's the myths of forgiveness. I want to talk now about the method of forgiveness. So what is it we actually do when we forgive someone? Some people believe that you're supposed to like achieve this high level of positive feelings towards the other person. Well, it's some sort of positive emotion. I forgive them. I, I'm, I've convinced my mind and my heart to be positive towards a person that I used to be negative towards. Well, I discovered that that's partially true, but most people don't understand what we're actually doing with God when we choose to forgive somebody. And so let me explain. Forgiveness is not just a way of saying it's not a big deal. Forgiveness is not just putting it out of our mind. If forgiveness is not a big deal in a particular situation, then you need to just like not make it a big deal. And if you need to put something out of your mind, then you need to just put something out of your mind. But if forgiveness is required, there's actually something that we do to make it real. There's actually steps that we take. And I'm going to give you three of those steps here right now. The first step is this. Three things required to forgive. First thing you do is you label what the other person did as sin. We say this divorce, this addiction, this car accident that from the drunk driver, this slander from this horrible email, whatever it is that caused the hurt, we say it was a sin. It was a sin against me. It was not just a horrible mistake or someone that has bad genes or someone's bad situation in their home life. The first thing you want to do is you want to label the thing that you're forgiving as a sin because only sins can be forgiven. Mistakes are generally not forgiven. They are understood as part of the human condition. 
So we have to label it is what it is. The second thing we do is this. We name the person responsible for the sin. Now, the way we don't name them is to go onto your social media account and your Twitter account and say, Jerry sinned against me. Uh, that was a random name. So I know there's someone here named Jerry. But Jerry, this is not my way of telling. This wouldn't be. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> should use a. Uh, Jerry didn't do anything against me. But if a Jerry had done against something against me, it wouldn't be good for me to come up from like, Jerry did this to me. You don't label the sin uh, or you don't name the person responsible for the sin in a public, embarrassing way. What you do is we say to God, we go to God and we go before him. We say, God, I was gossiped against and it was a sin. I was gossiped about by Amanda I was robbed of the credit that was due to me, and my boss, Jonathan, took all the credit for it. In uh, forgiveness, what it does is it pulls the cover back on sin, and it exposes the sin before God, and it exposes the offender before God, and it becomes less about us blaming someone in the real world and finding a coalition of the willing who agree with how we've been hurt. And we instead we bring it before God and we say, God, I was hurt. And this sin against me happened by so-and-so specifically, uh, in, um, Matthew eighteen thirty five it says this, which leads us to our third point in Matthew eighteen thirty five It says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This third one from your heart is really important. Look what you do here. Look at number three. Tell God all the consequences that happened as a result of their sin. Tell God all of the consequences that happened as a result of their sin. Forgiveness is not an easy thing. It's not a cheap thing. Sometimes we forgive and we just put a label on something, you know, hey, I'm just going to forgive this person. That's not how it really works. The problem is that when a sin has been committed against us, that sin can sometimes take root in our souls. It can go deeper than we actually realize. And we may be saying that we're okay and that we've forgiven, but we've never really dealt with the roots of that sin against us. We've brushed over the consequences in our hearts and our lives. And then we wonder why we're really unsettled, why we really haven't fully forgiven them. Or like we say, we forgive them. But when we're around that person, you know, it's not the same you know that there's still consequences that you haven't dealt with or I haven't dealt with that are deeper in our soul. And what we see when we have to, in order for us to forgive someone from our heart, is that we need to dig out the roots in our soul. Lord, as a result of my dad's neglect, I have spent years looking for love in all the wrong places Lord, here are the ripple effects of that. My father's abuse in my life. Lord, these are the effects of the abuse that I experienced from a boyfriend or the addiction I experienced that from a girlfriend in my life. If you don't name the consequences, you're not digging out all the roots. So we talked about the measure of forgiveness, the meaning, the myths, and this is the method of forgiveness. And now I want to close with our last point, And it's this, the motive the motive of forgiveness. Now, lots of people say, yeah, you should forgive. You know, just go ahead, forgive. But what motivates them? What motivates them? Well, one of the things that makes Jesus followers unique is that Jesus followers are motivated by the realization 
that we are invited not just to understand forgiveness or believe in forgiveness. We're invited to experience forgiveness. Believing that Jesus died for our sins is different than experiencing that Jesus died for our sins. And because Christians believe that we are motivated by something that has happened in history. And that thing is that Jesus came to this earth and forgave us of our sins. We experience his forgiveness in real thing. When we become, and this is how we do it. When we become aware of the sin that we have in our own lives, we understand that Jesus dealt with that and frees us from it. Now, um, so I grew up in a home that we call a Christian home, but there were some times in high school and college where I was kind of doing my own thing. And, um, there was this period of time where like, I, I made a commitment to come back to Jesus, come back to Jesus. And, uh, uh, I started following him again. And when I started, I said, yeah, it was almost like a surrender to his forgiveness. You know, Jesus, I choose to align my life with you. I choose to follow you. I believe that what you did on the cross uh, frees me from my sin. Jesus, I can't take the, the weight of my own sin. And what had happened to me is like sin was pressing in on my life in a number of ways. And it just, my life didn't taste good. And I knew that my life wasn't functioning as it should. But when I invited the, to Jesus to come into my life, I experienced a sense of forgiveness. And what he did is he pulled those things out of my life and I finally felt free. I was like, this is amazing. I cannot believe the freedom that I have after experiencing the forgiveness that comes from God. And what that did is it began to transform slowly but surely how I related to people in the world. I was no longer very quick to get back at them. I was no longer angry in a way. I knew that I had experienced forgiveness. And as I experienced that forgiveness, other people began to experience forgiveness and grace, which is unmerited favor. They began to experience that through me. Friends, if you want to understand real forgiveness, you must experience it for yourself. And Jesus invites you by the power of his Holy Spirit to experience that forgiveness today. And when you do experience that, you will be more free in the world to offer that to others. It is a firm foundation for giving grace and offering compassion to other people in your life. And then we see just, you know, just uh, as a final note, we see in Matthew 18, 34, uh, look what, look what he says at the end of the story. He says in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back everything he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother from your heart. What we see here. What we see here. Is that if you don't forgive. You're not imprisoning the other person. In some like weird little jail in your mind. Who are you imprisoning? You're imprisoning yourself. You don't forgive. You're torturing yourself. If you don't forgive. You're the one that's consumed with the bitterness. You're the one that's consumed with anger. You're the one stuck holding the bill of hatred. The one thing we see about forgiveness is that it's not just a gift to somebody else. It's a gift for you. That you can give yourself a gift today 
by forgiving something that someone else did to you. Forgiveness is not something that someone else deserves. It's also a gift. Forgiveness is also a gift that we give ourselves. It is the gift of being let out of a cage of our own bitterness, our own grudge. It is a gift that we give to ourselves to find freedom from our past. It is a gift that we can experience to be free from anger or hurt. If you want to breathe free, don't start by finalizing your grudge. What you can do to be free is start by forgiving. Forgiveness is the way Jesus followers exist and live differently in the world. And when we do this, we are aligning ourselves with the long history of Christians who aligned themselves with our Savior, Jesus Christ, who made the ultimate sacrifice and ultimately forgave all of us for what we have done.